What's up, y'all? What's going on? It's Tuesday, which means it is time for another Hold That Podcast podcast, your favorite LSU football podcast, and we have a very special one for you this week. First off, I am T-Bob Hebert. Uh, My co-host is Brody Miller. I do a radio show for 104.5 ESPN. Brody writes for The Athletic, who hosts this podcast. Shout out to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash Hold that podcast 40% off, and today, let's get right into it. We are joined by uh, the guru of college football, one of the premier voices, the author of the most comprehensive guide, an unbelievable amount of work that one person commits himself to. I can't really wrap my head around it. You already know I'm talking about Phil Steele. Uh, Phil, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for joining our pod. Hey, a real pleasure, and uh, you know, as we talked about off-air briefly, what a season it was for LSU last year. Uh, you guys had to have a lot of fun doing the podcast last year. Uh, it was it was unreal. <laughs> yeah, we were we were very fortunate there. But hey, uh, from a storyline point of view, this year is almost better because everything's new, everything's getting replaced. So uh, yeah, I guess uh, it's I don't agree with Brody at all. I am not a professional journalist. I think that's an absurd take. I would much rather the team be fifteen and zero, scoring fifteen points a game, fifty points a game every single year. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to address some harsh realities with this LSU team this year. Um, Phil, before, before we start just peppering you with questions, uh, the guy, the, the, the book just came out, um, like it does every year. It's a little different this year though. Uh, it's exclusive to Barnes and Noble and books a million. Is that correct? Yeah. And, uh, you know, normally we're out, out and about everywhere. We printed a couple hundred thousand copies, but this year we only printed 50,000 copies and the only two retailers it's at Barnes and Noble books a million. So if you're used to going out there and hopping around at all the different places and just grabbing it from wherever, you're not going to find it. Don't waste the gas. It's only at Barnes and Noble books a million this year, are the only two locations, or of course, philsteel.com. There you go. So if you want to get ready for 2020 college football, Phil, I just got to tell you, man. Um, so my old man uh, is Bobby Hebert. Uh, I don't know, you know, played for the Falcons and the Saints back in the day. But like some of my most firm college football memories, I feel like growing up and, and he does radio, too. So I guess it was just him just trying to get ready to talk about it is, is him just pouring over. Uh, the college football previews cover to cover, and then me as well doing the same many times uh, in the bathroom. But uh, but yeah, just, just you've you've had a huge impact on my college football <laughs> consumption throughout my life. You know, and I always enjoy doing radio shows with your dad in Louisiana. So it's uh, it's something we do uh, almost yearly, I believe. Yeah, he he relies on you to sound like he knows what he's talking about, um, and I do too. So <laughs> that's always good, right? Uh, okay, so so let's let, let's dive into this then, um, because Phil, we we broke down your top twenty five uh, a, a couple weeks back, and I thought it was really interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, but before we get into like you know where some teams are and kind of what your thoughts on general college football is, um, I, I want to start here. I want to get inside your head when you are evaluating all these teams and, and you go to do a top twenty five. Are you like what what are your metrics? Are you ranking them based on just like pure 
talent? Like, this is how good I think this team is? Are you ranking them versus where they'll end up with the schedule they have? Like, what are the metrics for determining Phil Steele's top 25? No, that's a great question. And there are actually a couple different top 25s in the magazine. If you want to base it just on pure talent, that would be the power poll, which is on page 39. And in the power poll, I take a look at all nine sets of my power ratings, meld them together, and let the computer spit out who the most talented teams are. Now, in the power poll, LSU comes in number six, and they are a very talented team. In fact, I think the defense for LSU, and I know we'll talk about LSU in depth more in a, in a few minutes, but I think the defense for LSU could be better than last year's LSU squad. The, of course, the question mark being the offense, but it's a very talented LSU team team. Then comes the top 40. And in the top 40, you'll see I have LSU at number 11. And that bases on the schedule. I think LSU is going to be an underdog at Florida this year, at Texas A&M, and then home against Alabama. So based on schedule, that would be my preseason top 40 or top 50 or 60. I I stop wherever I feel like stopping every year uh, on that one. But the power poll I have LSU number six. So that's a great question, and there are two, definitely two different types of rankings uh, in the magazine. And for the record, I went to my top 61 this year in my top 40. And and I imagine LSU's got to be one of the trickier ones to rank this year in, yeah. in handicap because you know the talent there, the talent is there, like you said. You have them high in your power pole, but at the same time, there is so much unknown with it. So how did you kind of go about really figuring out how you feel about them? Yeah, and, you know, uh, like I said, for the power poll, I left it to my computer. And to be honest with you guys, after last season was over, I was like, well, okay, LSU just achieved everything you could achieve in one year, and now everybody's gone. I mean, 14 players got drafted, 20 players are off to the NFL camps. Uh, they lose the quarterback. They're, they lose uh, Edwards Hilaire, uh, offensive line, which won the Joe Moore Award last year. And I'm, I'm proud to be a member of the Joe Moore Award committee. Uh, that's got wiped out. And so now you're like, wow, there's major question marks for LSU. How far are they going to drop this year? Not if they're going to drop, but how far they're going to drop. But when I dove in deeper, I mean, there's talent. Uh, at every position, which is why the power pole pulls them up to number six. I mean, the receiving core, I actually rate the receiving core number one in the country. And defensively, you know, the secondary, I rate that the second best uh, secondary in the country, led by Derek Stingley and Jacoby Stevens. Up front, guys like Tyler Shelvin and nose tackle. Jabril Cox coming over from North Dakota State, I think is going to be one of the more underrated moves in the country. I was thrilled with what I saw to Cox at, at North Dakota State. I think he's going to step in and do a good job with the defense. So so how quickly the all line comes along, how quickly the new quarterback can emerge. Uh, they're not, uh, he's, you know, Miles Brennan is not going to put up Joe Burrow's stats this year, but how good will he be? There's there's talent throughout. So a tricky, very tricky team to handicap. Well, and it's kind of interesting, Phil, because that talent speaks to something that we kind of broke down on the pod, which is w- when I look at the, the top 25 that you put out there, uh, it's the, the top six is Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, A&M, and LSU. Um, what's, what, what's interesting about that, I, when I look at those top four, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and Oklahoma, we kind of deem those, that's the benefit of the doubt club, right? It doesn't right. matter if you lost a number one pick. It doesn't matter if you lost like all the Heisman winner, like whatever, Alabama lost a million guys to the league. Like those, those teams, those programs, you can just know are going to be in that playoff conversation throughout the entirety of the year. LSU's looking to make the jump into that club. 
the fact that the power rankings have that high tell me that maybe you know may, maybe they're a bit close so so what do you think like what does LSU need to do does it all ride on this year is it more extended how do they jump into that benefit of the doubt club with the with the biggest of the big boys yeah, and I, I think the Alabama comparison merits well because uh, Alabama in years past has come in, and I have an experience chart in the magazine, which factors in all the different factors. You know, how many seniors on the team, how many returning starters do you have, what percentage of lettermen do you have, offensive line career starts, percentage of yards returning, percentage of tackles returning. It's all factored in. Uh, the one team that generally has overcome the experience chart or the two teams or the three teams recently are Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. And they've proven, hey, we could be number 100, 120 on the experience chart. We're still going to contend for a national title at the end of the year. Generally, when teams get down in that area, there are question marks, which I have some question marks with LSU because LSU comes in number 129 on my experience chart, the second least experienced team in the entire country. But once again, looking at the talent, can they reload? And it sure appears like they can. I believe they are still one of the most talented teams in the country. It's just scary picking them up there because they haven't done it in years past. You know, like in the last five years, they, they haven't really ranked down that low and then actually contended for a national title like Alabama does almost on a yearly basis. And I imagine, I mean, this is something you have to do almost every year with the majority of teams, so you're a great person to ask in that. it's It's got to be tricky to figure out what you're going to see from a quarterback than reality we've never seen play. You know, you're making a ranking on, on word of mouth, right, and, and rankings and things like that. So when you look at Miles Brennan, I mean, what do you think realistic expectations are from him this year, and, and what have you kind of gathered about what you think he can do? And and remember, they also lost their co-offensive coordinator Absolutely. from last year, which has to factor into the situation. Also factor in new defensive coordinator this year. Also factor in lack of spring practices, which uh, I think is really uh, has it will have an impact this year. LSU only got in three spring practices. Had they had the full spring to get in, and I was would have been able to to watch these guys all spring and maybe see how they uh, produced and uh, how they adapted. Then it probably would be a little bit easier to pick them higher, but question marks abound. But as far as Miles Brennan goes, I mean, you're talking about a kid who's six five, two two twelve. He's got he's got everything you want. Uh, you know, he's got the arm, uh, he's got the passing ability, and uh, you know, now can he be the leader Joe Burrow was? Remember all those hits Joe Burrow would take and then just pop right back up. You had to love that, and I think the team just jumped behind Joe Burrow and and rode him. Can Miles Brennan be that type of leader? That's probably the big question mark not concerned with the ability miles brennan has but uh you know he's stepping into the shoes of somebody that put up stats that you don't even see in college football i mean 76 percent completions 60 touchdown passes i don't even remember all six interceptions this past year can you believe he had six interceptions this past year guys <laughs> no because unlike almost any other football experience i've ever had we talked about it's like penalties didn't matter last year interceptions didn't matter last year like any mistakes that you made the attack was so overwhelming that it would that it you just like I don't remember any false starts I don't no holes stand out in my mind normally those are drive killers they take points off the board but it just yeah I mean I'm with you Phil I think if Miles Britton does like 60 percent of what Burrow did last year, it's still like well over 3,000 yards and over like 35 touchdowns. So, 
Uh, he is filling the biggest of impossible to fill shoes. And so we could circle back around to LSU, but I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't pick your brain about college football as a whole, because like we said, you, you put together a more comprehensive list than anyone. Um, I, I, I know one, I know one name in that top six that I mentioned that stands out above many others for <laughs> LSU fans. And Our favorite that topic. See, that is when they see <laughs> Texas A&M at number five ahead of LSU. Uh, what's, 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 what is Phil Steele's opinion on what this year's A&M team is going to bring? Uh, A&M is my number one surprise team in the country this year. And, uh, you know, I'll go back to last year's conversation that I had with Coach Jimbo Fisher. And generally, the calls with the coaches, uh, the ones I get to talk to, I talk to 110 of the 130 head coaches. Uh, generally, they last close to an hour, go over every player on the team. And two things stood out to me after last year's call with Coach Jimbo Fisher. The first was, there's no seniors on this team. I mean, they, they had like four seniors on the entire squad. So you knew they'd be coming back. I also had like Jimbo Fisher's first two recruiting classes. He brought in two really good recruiting classes. And generally a head coach hits his stride year three when he gets three recruiting classes in. The second thing that jumped out to me about A&M last year was their schedule. And uh, I mean, it looked brutal. And I told Coach Fisher at the end of the call, I said, I'm going to put you on my cover of my national magazine next year. Well, next year's here. And remember last year's schedule. They not only took on one number one ranked team, number two, or they took on three number one ranked teams. Clemson was number one when they played them. Alabama was number one when they played them. And LSU (laughs) was number one when they played them. And the LSU game came one week after they had played number four Georgia between the hedges. Then they had to travel to Death Valley. They took Georgia to the wire, didn't have anything left over for LSU. And LSU destroyed them as they destroyed most of their opposition last year. They also faced number eight Auburn. So that's five top 10 teams last year and a brutal schedule. Well, this year, the schedule drops to number 66. They may only face two top 10 teams all year, and that could be Alabama and LSU at the end of the season. Uh, Then the other thing that that stands out this year is they're now an experienced squad, 17 returning starters, practically everybody back. Kellen Mond's a guy that really hit the weight room hard in the offseason, was in the film room all the time. I think he's going to be one of the most improved quarterbacks out there. The offensive line, I rate number 13 in the country. It's a veteran group, almost everybody back. Defensive line, number 12. Linebackers and DBs, both of my top 10. This is a veteran Texas A&M team now with three great recruiting classes. And they usually, they do go about three deep at every single position. So it's experienced, schedules there. I think A&M is going to be a surprise team. All they have to do is what LSU did last year, <laughs> which is going to Tuscaloosa and come out of there with a win. Pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. If they do that, <laughs> then they're a, a team that could uh, contend for a playoff spot. And, you know, it's funny we were talking earlier about the, the benefit of the Dow Club because I feel like A&M's in the opposite, right? I feel like A&M's a team that, I mean, I'm really high on A&M. I think they're going to be really good, and if you lose your logical brain, you think that. But but there is such a large population of people who are like, it's A&M. We hear this every summer, you know, all that, and they never really break through. So, I mean, do you factor that in? Like, do you carry that in at all when you're making these evaluations? You know, had it been me that had been picking Texas A&M high every summer, then I would factor it in the calculations. <laughs> but I'll go, I'll go back to the Kevin, the Kevin Sumlin era. 
Uh, I did not have them in my preseason top 25, all the, the, the wow. three someone years. And remember, they would rise to the top of the rankings. I'd be like, oh, man, maybe I missed on A&M this year. And then at the end of the year, they didn't finish in the top 25. And I'd be like, okay, they were who I thought they were at the end of the year. So had it, you know, let's give an example like Nebraska last year uh, was a rare, rare miss for me on my most improved teams. I had picked them as my most improved team, and they really let me down. They went 5-7. and seven. So this year I was gun shy on picking Nebraska anywhere up there because of the fact they really let me down last year. But A&M has not let me down, even in the last 8, 10 years, because I haven't picked them that high. Uh, talking to Phil Steele here. Well, wow, geez, I'm so used to doing radio. I guess nobody really joins like midstream, so there's <laughs> not necessarily any inter- reason to introduce. Uh, well, we're talking to Phil Steele, the college football expert. And Phil, I, I got to say, man, when I hear you talk about these teams, right? Like I cover one team. And I cover it very in-depth. And I'm always impressed with national guys can come in and they can connect with that local guy's level, right? Because we're like, we're so in the woods that a lot of times I can't even see the trees. I kind of forget what's common knowledge, what's not. It seems like you know all of this about every team. Uh, does Do you ever stop working? Does the grind ever stop? Like, what does the offseason look like for Phil Steele as you prepare to 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 make next year's book? Yeah, I get I get about two months where I just do this, which is talk on the radio, and to me that's pretty easy. Uh, and then the rest the rest of it's a complete grind. And uh, you know, this year the magazine lasted longer than normal. We start working on uh, next year's magazine the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and it goes on usually six months. But this year it went all the way to July eighth was the final day, as opposed to the end of May. And uh, the good thing is, like I said, I talk to the, the the head coaches, really get into the flavor of each team. We could talk in length if you like about louisiana are you on monroe tulane any of those teams here in the louisiana area i'm all set and ready to go so fire away with your questions gentlemen i'm sure everybody i don't know anything the about them today Phil. would love to hear it <laughs> i live here i know nothing about i can't even name ulm's head coach uh, oh, which is sad now that i'm thinking Viator. about it. i mean i yeah. love <laughs> See, look, there you go. i love my guy willie fritz over there in tulane and what he's been he's doing, doing a hell of a job fritz is and then how about louisiana they're a team that's yes. going to yes. challenge app state yes. this year you guys might might factor them into the conversation because they got the run game with elijah uh, mitchell and trey regus and, and watch chris smith to emerge and fill in Calais shoes and then the offensive line loaded this year keep your eyes on louisiana they could be one of those uh, dark horse teams in the Sun Belt. but <laughs> yeah, i'm sure your had, listeners uh, are probably looking for something else there we, we 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 talked to billy napier weekly last year and yeah he's he's got that nice. program moving in the right direction he's he's great so there's one person I really wanted to pick your brain about here, Phil, and it, it's Bo Pelini because Bo Pelini is somebody. We've seen his heights, right? We know how good he is. He is respected. But there is that factor of he hasn't coached FCS football let, or FBS football, let alone Power 5, in eight years. So, I mean, what is your, your feeling about what Bo Pelini can do year one moving LSU back to a 4-3? Uh, you know, it concerns me the lack of spring practices for a move back to the 4-3, but the talent doesn't concern me. Tyler Shelvin up front at nose tackle, big boy. You're talking about 6-3, 340, clog the middle, demand double teams. I love a player like that. Uh, then you playing alongside him, Glenn Logan. I think they do have the personnel to fit his 4-3 scheme. I love what he did at Youngstown State, and I didn't think he did a bad job in Nebraska either. Uh, you know, they didn't win as many games as they would have liked, but I thought he did a good job there. 
there. So I've, I've liked Bo Pelini throughout his career. I really liked what he did at Youngstown State the last couple of years. And I think he's going to come in and look good because he's got the personnel here. I mean, like I said, the second layer of defense with Jabril Cox stepping in there. Uh, I include the nickelback over there. So Kerry Vincent looks good. And, and having guys like a shutdown corner like Derek Stingley and maybe true freshman Elias Ricks can step in at that other spot. And Jacoby Stevens at free safety. There's good talent on this defense. So your answers about Bo Pelini will be answered at the end of the year because LSU's defense is going to look as good, if not better, than last year. Uh, Phil, okay, I mean, I, I, I could talk to you all day, but but as we are uh, wrapping up here, I, I want to ask you a bit more of a, of a meta question uh, because you have a couple of the Power 5 conferences that have already said that they're going to go conference only, right? And that includes the number one team in your top 25, Ohio State. And so I guess my question becomes, if we have a college football playoff this year and you have this kind of disjointed schedule set up, how do you think, do do you see any ripple effects? Like how do you think that will affect how we choose who would make this potential playoff? You know, I think the conference that it hurts the most is the Pac-12 because, let's face it, the Pac-12 hasn't made the playoff for a few years. Pac-12 doesn't get a lot of national respect. And can they earn national respect this year? No, they're playing a conference-only schedule. So even if they beat up everybody in the Pac-12, I think that around the country it'll be like, well, you know what, they haven't been there, haven't done that. So I do think it hurts the Pac-12 this year. Does it hurt the Ohio State? No. If Ohio State wins the Big Ten, wins that big game in Happy Valley against Penn State, knocks off a Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game, they'll be in the playoff regardless. So it doesn't hurt the Big Ten, but I am concerned about the, the uh, Pac-12. They've got two really good teams out there. Oregon and USC are the two most talented teams, but they basically have to go unbeaten to make the playoff this year i feel playing conference only talking to phil Steele, wrapping up here on the hold that podcast podcast i'm gonna sneak one more in uh what what's what's your outlook on georgia i'm a bit lower on them than most you know i think when the sec media days comes around florida is going to be the pick to win the sec east uh, i've seen a lot of publications out there picking the gators they've got kyle trask at quarterback they've got the better schedule I mean, Florida hosts LSU. Meanwhile, Georgia has to travel and play Alabama on the road. So, And Georgia only has three SEC home games. Florida only has three SEC road games. So schedule, overall talent, you got to like Florida. But I got to admit, I'm a defensive guy. I feel Georgia might have the best defense in college football. It's a no-name defense. They don't have those stars out there, but that's because they rotate so many players. They're my number five rated defensive line, number one set of linebackers, number four DBs, so they're loaded on defense. And how about the replacements on offense? I mean, a Jamie Newman coming over from Wake Forest, JT Daniels from USC, they're pretty good at the quarterback position. Newman would have been able to even had better stats last year had he not lost his top two receivers due to injuries. Amir White at running back, a year removed from the ACL. That's when we see running backs come true to form. Uh, so you got White, you got Cook and McIntosh at running back. Remember, the receiving core is a major question mark last year, much more veteran this year. I guess my biggest question mark with Georgia is going to be the offensive line. Not only do they lose three and a half starters, they lose their offensive line coach, Sam Pittman, to Arkansas. If they can rework that offensive line, uh, Georgia's actually my pick to win the East this year, Despite the fact, like I said, I think the SEC media will vote Florida as the team to win the East. We're not worthy. We're, I, feel, I feel like Wayne <laughs> and Garth right now just, just bowing at the feet of the college football mastermind. Phil, I can't thank you enough. Thank the, you your so much, ability Phil. to rattle off rosters, names, coaches for the, you know, the incredibly varied and disparate land of college football is unparalleled. Phil Steele, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Thank you.
Hey, a lot of fun talking football, and I appreciate the kind comments, guys. You're too kind. <laughs> uh, so go check out uh, Phil Seal's Guide to College Football, man. You can find it uh, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, uh, exclusive to those two locations. Go pop into your B&E. Uh, I actually went uh, yesterday to pick a book. Socially distant, mask up, you're good to go. It's a great process to go check that out. And, uh, okay, we're going to take a little break, and when we get back, we'll answer some of your mailbag questions. Sports are back, and that means a chance for you to save 40% on an athletic subscription. I know I myself have been watching Premier League soccer for the last two months, but also we got the MLBs back. The NHL and the NBA are on their way back. Football is hopefully around the corner, and the MLS is here as well. There are sports back, which is exciting for all of us. So do not miss exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. You can sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets the athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash holdthatpodcast, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you will not want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So again, go to theathletic.com slash holdthatpodcast for 40% off annual subscription. We hope to see you there. And we're back. Wow. Uh, just wrapped up with Phil Steele. Uh, Brody, That I, I, look, I don't know about you. I am amazed at that guy's ability to just rattle off names and storylines and like all of these things for all these different teams. It's it's wild. No, it, it is absurd. So I mean, you and I, we we sometimes get overwhelmed trying to remember like the third guy on the LSU <laughs> defensive tackle depth chart, and he's like, "Oh, let me tell you about UL." You know, I, I got some thoughts on him. So yeah, no, it's absurd. But at the same time, he is a master at 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 taking the question and not quite. Not quite putting uh, his, his foot down. I don't think I know his thoughts on Miles Brennan, and I'm very curious to get an honest answer out of that. Well, you know, it, it, it is it is like one of those things where if, if you're I'm just giving him a hard so, time. If you're committing so much computing power to though to like having all that information ready and to memorizing all that information, I mean, hey, look, like. You don't got a lot of room. You know, you you let the information speak for itself, right? You can answer any question. Like, like who is he just talking about? Uh, George's running back, White, that's coming off of a torn ACL. Like, I would have never known that. And, <laughs> and it sounds impressive. And then even if he doesn't answer your question, like, wow, Phil, absolutely, man. I guess I never thought about it that way. I know. So, I'm just giving him a hard time. That, right. uh, shout out. Shout out Phil Steele, man. Yeah. That I, was incredible. I, Thank I, you. I have no idea who UL Monroe's head coach is, though. Um. Still, I, I didn't even hear what he said then. Uh, but this is an LSU podcast, Brody. The Hold That podcast podcast. We're about to dive into some uh, some mailbag questions that you got on your article in The Athletic. But first, uh, I talked to Coach O this morning, and he said, Liam Shanahan repping with the ones at center. They like chasing Hines at right guard. Watch out. Liam Shanahan saving the day. Yeah, it, it kind of, I mean, this has been like our number one talking point on the pod for like, what, three straight weeks now. So there's not too much for us to add. But yeah, it is kind of, it's kind of seems like it it's the final. Na- yeah, it's the final nail in the coffin. Like it is Shanahan's spot at center. He's the leader there. And I think if anything, the more like news is that, all right, it's real now. Jason Hines is probably going to move to right guard. And I think I'll admit I'm a little, I, I figure he'd be like a front runner. I'll admit I'm a little surprised how much it seems like he's already like, the guy at right guard. I knew he was the me more experienced, too. No, but me too, because I thought it would like be a pretty Bradford, firm competition. 
Yeah, with Bradford and Cardell Thomas, like we mentioned those names a lot, but the feeling that the, the feeling that I'm getting though, I'm with you, is that they just you know they're they're almost ready to, well, not ready, whatever. I I, just, I said this in the show. It's like what, what's going on now. It is essentially the uh, like pole position in a NASCAR race. Okay, everybody's qualified, and the depth chart that you enter camp with is what the coaches believe is the best. But you know that's why you practice to figure these things out. Like, for instance, I started three years at LSU. I never entered a camp as a starter, ever, not once. Uh, and I, I just had to, like, go win that job every every. You every are camp. Adrian McGee. Um, <laughs> I, yes, which is why there's a lot of, like, self-hate in a lot of my Adrian McGee um, <laughs> uh, evaluation over the last couple of years. If a psychologist were to study my comments on Adrian McGee, they would probably find that a lot of times I'm just talking about myself. Uh, and, but, but, yeah, so and, it was, Go on. I, I just wanted to say, I mean, I think I should like qualify all Jason Hines' opinions I have with the fact that he is he is on the verge of joining the that guy All Star team, which is the you know the Ray Thorntons, Andre Anthony's, where it's like <laughs> your own opinion of them gets a little skewed because their names just connected to spots for like two, and this is his third year now. So sometimes you get in this thing of like, is he just a name they throw, or is he like really good? You know what I mean? So I think sometimes my opinion on Jason Hines gets skewed, and I need to remember this guy actually genuinely played as an eighteen year old true freshman and they do really like him we shouldn't judge him by not winning the job last year with injury and whatnot so I am really interested to see because he does have a really high upside yeah I was falling into that trap too but hearing him talk about how basically they just felt like he's essentially what O said this morning is just he's one of the best like one of the five best and so they had to find a way to get him on the field and so the knock-on effects before we move on are uh like I said I think it's interesting for Cardinal Thomas and Anthony Bradford, where are they now? And then also, I don't, I don't think we should factor Hines as a center anymore. No, I agree. Like he's, he doesn't have time to be getting ready for both. Um, Charles Turner and Joseph Evans are going to be your backup centers, and and probably Charles Turner uh, is is really going to be the guy there. And so it is, and we'll see. Like Liam could lose the job, stuff could still move. Absolutely, but that's where we sit today at the beginning of football school. The pads. I got to throw. Out. I got to throw one last thing. We don't even have to discuss it. I just want to throw it out there for our listeners that one thing I've learned in the past week, and don't get me wrong, I think you and I both kind of considered this person the best offensive lineman on the team, but I've learned a lot this week that like NFL people and Dane Brugler, NFL draft analyst, are incredibly high on Ed Ingram. I, he put it in his interior offensive line draft preview last week, but also I talked to Dane privately about it, and like he really thinks Ed Ingram is like one of the best linemen in college football this year. And the only reason I think he's even fifth on that list is just because of the limited time. But they're really high on him, which just kind of confirms what you and I, I think, already thought. Yeah, uh, I mean, we pushed it last year, and then Adrian McGee kind of shut me up a little bit. But uh, yes, shout out, Adrian. Um, all right, let's get to some all of right. these mailbag questions. So for let's everybody do who doesn't know, Brody writes for The Athletic. He does incredible work over there. Uh, it is, without a doubt, my favorite sports site. The reporting coming out of the NBA bubble right now is fantastic. College football writing is fantastic. It's, it's just all awesome. So go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. You get 40% off. Brody, what you got? Yeah, and for what it's worth, the the full mailbag story will be on the Athletic Wednesday morning. But uh, but for now, let's let's discuss these together. So the first one I want to go into is one that I got I think like four different variations of questions about. So I'll Cliff's notes it, but basically, if a season's pushback, a very big talking point is the fact that a lot of major prospects will very likely sit out. You know, especially first round caliber guys because they can't really help their stock much. So a lot of one of the most common questions was. 
Who do you think could realistically sit out for LSU, and how do you think that would affect LSU? And I think we obviously start, Jamar Chase is the obvious one, right? But who else comes yep. to mind for you? Well, uh, we talked to Derek Singley's dad on the show this morning, and we asked him if it got postponed, what he would do, and it sounds like he would play one of the two seasons. Yeah, uh, be that spring or fall, if I had to imagine, I'm guessing it would be spring, and then you just go start to get ready for the NFL. So uh, Stingley would be affected by that. Um, Jamar Chase, I mean, I think Jamar Chase, because he will be draft eligible, he's even in a position where if the season gets postponed too much, he has to answer some, you know, he has to make some decisions oh, yeah. about, okay, like, is it time for me to just... I don't even know if he played in just, October, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. Is it time for me to just go get ready for the NFL? Uh, and so Chase would be affected, Stingley would be affected. But um, after that, I just don't know, because after that, there are no... I think everyone after that, even though I think there's as many as, I don't know, five people who could realistically be high draft picks, almost all of them have like huge things they need to prove, right? Jacoby well, like Stevens... This, well, sorry, continue. Yeah, like Jacoby Stevens is somebody who obviously could have been a second or third round pick, but like he really needs to prove he can be a main safety or yep. or might or have to switch positions. And then, you know, Terrace Marshall obviously has the talent. He really could be that, but but he was the third guy last year, and I think this is a huge year for him actually proving he's an NFL receiver. Tyler Shelvin, I mean, he has a ton to prove with the weight stuff. Can he do it consistently? This is his first year everyone's really watching him. I just think there's really really the question would be Jabril Cox, because he didn't have to come from he could have left last year been a mid pick so maybe his value would be even higher this year i don't know yeah that that was that was the third guy and the last guy that i was gonna say is cox uh and even then that would depend on like how would a spring season line up with the draft but uh but hey i for what it's worth i still think we're getting college football this fall um Me too. so we we will see but yeah i think i think like you said chase and stingley the premier after that too many guys have too much to lose uh to bail at least from our estimation what's next all right, um, this one can be a quick one, but it is just interesting. It's uh, all right. By my count, LSU. St- basically, the question is: LSU has twenty, obviously, one open spot left in their twenty twenty signing class. Could the administration, little Ogeron joke there, take a grad transfer from a program that has its season canceled or delayed? And and this is a huge question because I think obviously we're way too far away from knowing what this would even look like. Um, no one's even really it hasn't even been a public discussion of if this is going to be on the table yet. But I mean, yeah, you would assume if there are teams that are pushed back to spring, you would assume there's going to be a push for some guys to try to transfer and play Power Five in the fall or something like that. And I don't know how many teams still have a recruiting spot open. But yeah, the question is, do you think LSU could uh, could try to get somebody like that at the last second? Um. I, I, I don't know, right? I mean, I, I, I honestly can't give any great insight into this answer because I would have uh, never known about, like, Cole Tracy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would have – Jabril Cox would not have been on my radar. Well, even though I guess he kind of was on people's radar. Uh, but, yeah, LSU's – I will say this. I don't know – I don't follow the grad transfer market. What I do know is that LSU's resume um, – and, and what they've done, their track record would make me feel really good about any grad transfer that they would decide to give a final spot to. And I'm not even sure it would have to be a grad transfer because you just have to think, like I said, say, like, let's say hypothetically, Tulane, you know, group, a smaller conference, they're 
chances are they're not going to play this fall. And let's say they go to the spring and LSU is playing in the fall. I mean, you have to assume there's going to be some freedom given to guys to be like, hey, go play football in the fall if you want to, you know, without sitting out eligibility. And this is me just completely speculating, but you just have to wonder if there's going to be some some lax, you know, some relaxing on the rules there. So, like, say, I mean, I can confirm that I do know that LSU has discussed that. I mean, I remember when I was doing the reporting on the Cameron Jackson story about three months ago about what LSU's going to do with his 25th spot. I mean, some people did tell me offhand, like, they are kind of waiting to see if that's going to be a possibility that you can go grab some some pretty darn good group of five or FCS player to jump in. And I'm not saying I have names or who that could be, but I think it's definitely something else you is at least keeping on the radar. And can you imagine how big that would be? Because it's not like that many schools have a spot open, right? So yeah. for LSU to maybe be able to cherry pick, you know, a legitimate NFL caliber player at the last second. That would be that would be a game changer. You could maybe go get a star pass rusher because you don't really have one, or or maybe you can go get a, a a veteran backup quarterback and feel a little better. I think it's just something to keep an eye on, but it's also something that is so far away from being possible. What do you mean they don't have a star pass rusher? They have BJ Ujolari and Philip Webb Brody. Don't you pay attention? I don't know if you've heard, but Ed Ogeron thinks BJ Ujolari is going to be an All American. I don't know if you've heard. He said that a few times. Uh, um, okay, let's do two more. All right, so ooh. Okay, I got one for you. Now, a few years removed from the Les Miles era, how do you think history will judge the Mad Hatter? Does he deserve a place in the top three to four LSU coaches of all time? You played for the Mad Hatter himself. What are your thoughts? Um, Yes, I I, I definitely think that he belongs in the top four for sure. Uh, I mean, I guess you're still saying... Nick Saban is one. Uh, I mean, look, the national championship winning coaches are always going to get put in the group, right? So Nick Saban's one. You're going to say Edo's two. Um, is Dietzel the coach from back in the 50s when they won it? I mean, I, I don't so. know. I'd probably I'd probably put Miles at three. Look, I think the golden era of LSU football, the golden age, has been from the year 2000 until now, the past 20 decades. During that era, you have uh, you know consistently been top 25, consistently made big bowl games. Um, you've been championship relevant for much of it. Um, you've won multiple national championships within that span. And so if that's the golden age, you know, the best era, then like, yeah, I'm going to put the three coaches that were the engineers and the architect of it in that, in that area. The thing about miles is so much, it's so much of his resume on paper. looks a lot better than it felt. And so like he had a ton of success. It's just that, the lows were so low and so inexplicable at times that it, it outweighs a lot of uh, the good they did. I guess he, too, is kind of suffering from O-line syndrome a little bit where you can whoop your guy's ass nine plays in a row and nobody gives a damn, but if you get a holding penalty, like that's what everybody's going to think about and remember you for. That's kind of like how Coach Miles' tenure at LSU is because, I mean, he still won a natty. He played in two natties, won multiple SC championships, won 10 games. Uh, almost every year, but he also blew it in one of the biggest stages on the national championship. He had inexplicable, consistently bad clock management issues. And ultimately, for all of the talent that he was recruiting, which is a feather in the cap, it almost came back around to bite him when then all these guys would go to the NFL and LSU wouldn't necessarily have the wins to speak to the talent that they were carrying. So while while Miles, uh, there's a lot of nuance in how you judge him, he is easily a top three or four coach in LSU history. See, this is what's 
I mean, as somebody who has watched Hamilton a lot in the last two weeks, I mean, we I have learned from it. His, history will will make will tell its story, and I think that's you know, history books might change what really happened. And I think Les Miles. I mean, unfortunately, I think these last three years and everything that's happened since just kind of makes his the memory of his era look worse and worse, right? So much about that's true. this dominant run in the Ogeron era is about, the, the the narrative at least, unfairly or fairly, is about correcting the less Miles mistakes of the last you know eight years. And, and so much of the Miles era is about the mistakes you're mentioning and the, the un- inability to, to move forward with the offense, the inability to correct the, the clock errors. You know I mean? I just think history is not being very kind to less Miles, and I think history... And I'm not, again, I'm not even saying this is my opinion. I just already see how the narrative's building. He's going to be remembered, I think, as like that weird, quirky, very flawed coach who just kind of put together that weird title that one time. And I'm not saying that's how it should be. I just really feel like that's how we're going to look back on him 20 years. And I'm trying to think of a, a well, good comparison. Well, that's why 2011, 2011 was so important to him. Because it is. if you do want to, if you did want to take away that 07 championship, if you want to like cut him down on it well you say well it was the majority of Saban's players and even though that's not fair it was his third year as that coach and uh you could say I mean they lost two games right they're, they're literally the only two loss national champion in college football history if he had had that undefeated 2011 season name then it'd be unquestioned but then again if he'd had that then who knows if you see like everything that came after so I'm with you. What's interesting, though, about because you're right, so much of O's pitch is fixing where Miles refused to fix, but he also kept a lot of what Miles had. If you look at the coaching staff, oh, yeah, if you look at the administration, the entire like exactly the whole like staff staff is like yes. you know, the Jack Maruchis, the Tommy Moffats. Those are it's well, the I guess they're Saban guys, but yeah. well, well, some of the I mean, some of those even predate Saban, but like even like. Um, you know, secretaries, like everybody in that building, there's a lot of carryover. And look, one of Coach Miles' great skills was hiring well. Um, he didn't always empower those people to do their jobs to the max, but he hired well, and that carries over. So, yeah, even though LSU fans will all be salty at him, he um, he 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 needs to. Uh, sorry, I got a funny text. He 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 should be remembered <laughs> fondly, and he is a top three to four LSU coach. Well, I, I got to say real quick, and we'll move on, though, because it's like, I think it's tough, though, to see where you place him because I think Saban is probably number one, even though it's a short time span. I think most LSU fans would really argue Char- Charlie McClendon Charlie Mack. Like one or two. Yeah, I think he's kind of the, I mean, he didn't win a title, but for like 18 years, he was really good. So I think he's probably number two, and then I don't think you can fairly put Ogeron higher than three just because, so yet, because of the sample size. So it really becomes a, do you go Paul Dietzel or do you go Les Miles? Two guys who won one title but ne- don't necessarily have consistent careers. So, anyway, that's it's a great debate. Uh, see, if I mean, that. when do you take the Miles era though over the Charlie Mack era? I don't know. I don't know much about the Charlie Mack era beyond um, <laughs> it never rains in Tiger Stadium, which is an excellent book by John yeah. Bradley. But like, you know, it's 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 tough. That's why for you know we weren't born. Like so, like judging, yeah. judging it's our old Nebraska take, football talk. Yeah. Judging things that take place before the time we were born, it's just hard to have great perspective on it. So, from my millennial perspective, it's a very clear list, right. and well, it's Saban, Ogeron, Miles. 
All right, last question. When we could, I want to do it speed round style, but I do want to do this. Um, okay, hey Brody, I'm always fascinated by the players. I like the hey Brodies. I'm always fascinated by the players who finally get their shot, who break out their final season in college or junior season and truly emerge. Is there anyone you're hearing about who may have a chance to be, say, a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or Patrick Queen this year? I'll, and they suggest a few guys. But and the way I want to do this, and we can do it speed round, but I want it to be like where we have our guys, we have our stock in. So. Let's do a quick, really quick speed round of three guys each. Of we're going to put our stock in for the upcoming season. You have first pick. You're okay. your breakout player. Um. Oh man, I'm trying to just I'm I'm trying to do a mixture of strategy. I'm trying to head you off. Yeah, and I'm trying to I like pick it. like the guys that I think. Uh, I'm going to say Micah Baskerville. What? Okay, somebody just heard Ogeron raving about him on the on, on the radio this morning. And the suddenly- Hounds. Oh, what Baskerville. a quick turnaround. Think about the it. The Hound turnaround. of Baskerville, okay? Hey, look, Brody, wrong is Literally the man. a week ago you weren't high on him. <laughs> wrong is the man who refuses to adjust his opinion in light of new information, okay? Sure. And I am not someone who's just going to sit here stubbornly in my beliefs. Also, I have no real strong beliefs on Micah Baskerville. And yes, yeah, he did mention know. him this morning. And plus, I love Sherlock Holmes. What's one of the classic Sherlock Holmes stories? The Hounds of Baskerville. What's a great nickname for a badass linebacker? The Hound of Baskerville. Give me Micah. All right, I'm going to go with my first pick, Neil Farrell. I actually just like sincerely think Neil Farrell... I actually am starting to come around to the thought that I might think he's actually better than Glenn Logan, for example. Like, I think you look at his stats last year in such limited time. Neil Farrell's really good and has so much talent. We'll see if he puts it together this year, but he's my pick right now. All right, and then I should we do Snake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Or no, I'll go again. Um, Okay. Because I'm not going to take anybody that you you, you want. Yeah, no, go for it. I think, obviously, if Liam Shanahan does really good, you know, there's a guy who was all Ivy League. And if he can prove that he can hang with the big boys, then he stands to make himself a lot of money. Like, especially if the entire LSU offense does good, he will have played a key role in that. I don't think Damone Clark should even be considered here because he is like a consensus, like he's the next guy. So it's not like a surprise or a breakout. And he's young, so, right? Some of these yeah. guys are like he's guys a junior, who have to bide yeah. their time a little bit. Oh, okay, exactly. I, thought, I thought Clark was still a sophomore. Never mind, I'm wrong. But no, still, it's still, I still, we, we agree on this. So I will go shoot. I had somebody really good. Um, I, I already mean, forget Mc, it. So McMath, I'm gonna go be up there, right or no? Because I'm gonna go racing McMath was yeah. my pick. Yeah, right. and that's obvious. We've talked about him at length, but he is, does seem slated to be the third starter in a high octane offense. So racing McMath. All right, give me last pick here. I'm on the board, and I'm stalling for time. I love it. Um. I mean, one of the corners, but they're young, so they don't necessarily. I don't think they work. Yeah, fit you fit in this mold. Uh, oh, uh, the ultimate dude, Andre Anthony. <laughs> everything. <laughs> wow, I didn't. I wasn't even gonna do that. I love every, it. I everything's love been it. everything's been leading to this moment for Andre. The Anthony, that guy right? all star. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I end up having to write like a midseason profile about how good he's doing. Do you think it's unethical for the lead of my story to be how much we made fun of him on the show? I think no, like I have to, I have to man up to it. Like, yeah, hey. like like um, we said, I, wrong is the man who refuses 100%. to adjust his opinion in light of new information. I think I will. I really will own up to it. All right, um, I will make mine. You're gonna get mad at me, but I think it's the pick. It's the ultimate one, Chris Curry. I think Chris Curry is okay. my. I'm, no, I'm putting my pick. stock in pick. All right, I just don't, right, yeah, that, yeah yeah yeah. I mean, he fits the metric perfectly. 
I'm getting more concerned about his ability to hold off the young guys. We'll see. All right. Yeah, fair enough. And I think that's everything for today. Perfect. Another edition of the Hold That Podcast. Podcast in the book. Huge shout out to The Athletic. Huge shout out to Phil Steele. Huge shout out to John Hayes for producing the show. Huge shout out to Brody Miller for doing excellent work joining the show. And huge shout out uh, to A Bear Specialty Meats. Buy your specialty meats there off of Jefferson Highway here in Baton Rouge. Uh, we will be back next week with a brand new Hold That Podcast podcast. We will see you. Oh, and uh, look, review it, like it, share it with your friends. All that stuff really helps, like the algorithm, the internet. So it's great. If you enjoy this, please share it with your friends, and we'll see you next week. Take it easy.